we're going to start with 1 Kings chapter 2. This was not on the agenda, but what Brother TJ said about the law reminded me of something that I had read in preparation for this lesson. And if you think about what your last words would be before you died and if your children were there in front of you, and you knew you were about to die and you're laying on your deathbed, what's the last thing that you would tell your children? Well, last week we talked about how that David was a man after the heart of Yahweh. And how that the primary meaning of that is this, is that David's heart was inclined to the law of Yahweh. That's what it means primarily. We're going to go over to a secondary meaning right now in this lesson. But his heart was inclined to Yahweh's law. doesn't mean he was a perfect man. doesn't mean he was a sinless man. But his heart was always inclined to the law of Yahweh. I want you to listen to what David said in 1 Kings chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. It says, As the time approached for David to die, he instructed his son Solomon, As for me, I am going the way of all the earth. Be strong and brave. And keep your obligation to Yahweh your Mighty One to walk in His ways and to keep His statutes, commandments, judgments, and testimonies. This is written in the law of Moses so that you will have success in everything you do and wherever you turn. And so that Yahweh will carry out His promise that He made to me if your sons are careful to walk faithfully before me with their whole mind and heart, you will never fail to have a man on the throne of Israel. Isn't that beautiful, Brother TJ? The last things he said to Solomon was, keep the laws of Yahweh. You'll have great success. David was a man after Yahweh's heart. He was a man that was inclined to Yahweh's law. We ended last week with 1 Kings 15. I want to begin with 1 Kings 15, 1 through 5 this week. 1 Kings 15, chapter 15, verses 1 through 5. We're going to read this as kind of our base text, and then we're going to go to 2 Samuel. 1 Kings chapter 15, beginning at verse 1. In the eighteenth year of Israel's king, Jeroboam, son of Nebat, Abijam became king over Judah, and he reigned three years in Jerusalem. And his mother's name was Makkah, daughter of Abishalom. Abijam walked in all the sins, I mean, you know what sin is? Transgression of the law. Abijam walked in all the transgressions of the law his father had done before him. And he was not completely devoted to Yahweh his mighty one as his ancestor David had been. But because of David, Yahweh his mighty one gave him a lamp in Jerusalem to raise up his son after him and to establish Jerusalem Verse 5 tells us why. Because David did what was right in Yahweh's eyes. And he did not turn aside from anything he had commanded him all the days of his life, except in the matter of Uriah the Hittite. First Kings chapter 15 shows us how David's heart was inclined to Yahweh's law. But he messed up. And that's what we're going to talk about in this sermon. Let's look at 2 Samuel chapter 11 and chapter 12. I'm going to do a lot of reading tonight. I'm going to interject some. I think most of it's self-explanatory. I don't want to interject where Yahweh's Word speaks plainly. 
But we're going to talk about a second aspect of David being a man after Yahweh's heart. And that is, his heart was so inclined to Yahweh's law that in the moments where he disobeyed Yahweh, he was a man of humility, admitting his sin, and he was a man of repentance. And Yahweh loves it. When we end tonight, you're going to see that Yahweh, that's what he wants. Yahweh wants humility from us and repentance from us. That's what he wants. He loves it. Second Samuel chapter 11, beginning at verse 1. In the spring, when the kings march out to war, David sent Joab with his officers and all Israel. They destroyed the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah, but David remained in Jerusalem. One evening, David got up from his bed and strolled around on the roof of the palace. From the roof, he saw a woman bathing, a very beautiful woman. So David sent someone to inquire about her, and he reported, This is Bathsheba, daughter of Eliam and wife of Uriah the Hittite. David sent messengers to get her, and when she came to him, he slept with her. Now she had just been purifying herself from her uncleanness. Afterwards she returned home. The woman conceived and sent word to inform David, I am pregnant. David sent orders to Joab, Send me Uriah the Hittite. So Joab sent Uriah to David, and when Uriah came to him, David asked how Joab and the troops were doing and how the war was going. Then he said to Uriah, and I believe David said this out of guilt, and he was trying to cover up what he had done. That's why he said what what we're about to read right here. Then he said to Uriah, Go down to your house and wash your feet. So Uriah left the palace and a gift from the king followed him. But Uriah slept at the door of the palace with all his master's servants. He did not go down to his house. Why did David want him to go to his house? Because that's where Bathsheba was. He wanted Uriah to come home from war and enjoy his wife so that it might not be wondered how is she pregnant? How did she conceive? Verse 10, when it was reported to David, Uriah didn't go home, David questioned Uriah, haven't you just come from a journey? Why don't you go home? Notice the loyalty to the the army of Israel by Uriah, a warrior. Uriah answered David, The ark, Israel, and Judah are dwelling in tents. And my master Joab and his soldiers are camping in the open field. As a matter of fact, I just remembered that in the Dead Sea Scrolls, Uriah is referred to as Joab's armor-bearer. He's like Joab's right-hand man. So that's why he calls Joab his master here. So they're out camping in the open field. In other words, they're out at war. And Uriah continues and he says, How can I enter my house to eat and drink and sleep with my wife? As surely as you live and by your life, I will not do this. Stay here today also, David said to Uriah, and tomorrow I will send you back. So Uriah stayed in Jerusalem that day and the next. And then David invited Uriah to eat and drink with him. And David got him drunk. More cover up. 
David just trying to cover it up again. His sin. He went out in the evening to lie down on his cot with his master's servants, but he did not go home. Even when Uriah was drunk, because David got him drunk, he was still loyal to the armies of Israel. Verse 14. The next morning, David wrote a letter to Joab and sent it with Uriah. In the letter he wrote, I want you to put Uriah at the front of the fiercest fighting and then withdraw from him so that he is struck down and dies. David tried to cover up because of guilt. Now he tries to be deceptive. I don't want to murder him with a dagger, but I'll tell Joab to put him in the front of the army. And when the other army that we're fighting comes against us, have the other men fall back and leave Uriah out there by himself. Why? So he dies. So he dies. Verse 16, When Joab was besieging the city, he put Uriah in the place where he knew the best enemy soldiers were. Then the men of the city came out and attacked Joab. And some of the men from David's soldiers fell in battle. Uriah the Hittite also died. Joab sent someone to report to David all the details of the battle. He commanded the messenger, When you finish telling the king all the details of the battle, if the king's anger gets stirred up and he asks you, Why did you get so close to the city to fight? Didn't you realize they would shoot from the top of the wall? At Thebes, who struck Abimelech, son of Jerubasheth. Didn't a woman drop an upper millstone on him from the top of the wall so that he died? Why did you get so close to the wall? If David says that, then you say, Your servant Uriah the Hittite is dead also. Then the messenger left. When he arrived, he reported to David all that Joab had sent him to tell. The messenger reported to David... The men gained the advantage over us and came out against us in the field, but we counterattacked right up to the entrance of the gate. However, the archers shot down on your soldiers from the top of the wall, and some of the king's soldiers died. Your servant Uriah the Hittite is also dead. David probably breathes a sigh of relief. What I wanted to take place has taken place. Uriah is dead. And I want you to notice how that David has no mourning qualities over Uriah. Look what he tells the messenger in verse 25. Say this to Joab, don't let this matter upset you, because the sword devours all alike. In other words, don't worry about it. People get killed when they go to battle. Trying to cover it up some more. Intensify your fight against the city and demolish it. Encourage him. David's devious plan worked. Verse 26, when Uriah's wife heard that her husband, Uriah, had died, she mourned for him. And when the time of mourning ended, David had her brought to his house. She became his wife and bore him a son. However, Yahweh considered what David had done to be evil. Chapter 12. So Yahweh sent Nathan to David. If you study the book of 2 Samuel and 1 Samuel, you'll see that Nathan is a prophet. He's a prophet that Yahweh uses to speak through to his children. Yahweh sent Nathan to David, and when he arrived, Nathan begins with a parable. He tells a parable about a rich man and a poor man. This is the parable. 
He's speaking to King David. He says, There were two men in a certain city, one rich and the other poor. The rich man had a large number of sheep and cattle, but the poor man had nothing except one small ewe lamb that he had bought. It lived and grew up with him and his children. It shared his meager food and drank from his cup. It slept in his arms and it was like a daughter to him. That poor man loved that ewe lamb. Now a traveler came to the rich man, but the rich man could not bring himself to take one of his own sheep or cattle to prepare for the traveler who had come to him. Instead, he took the poor man's lamb and prepared it for his guest. Now I want you to meditate about this. If a man came to you, told you this story, if you heard this story from a preacher in church, a parabolic story, and you had the rich guy and he had all these animals to choose from to feed the traveler, but yet he didn't want to pick one of his own animals, even though he had plenty of animals to pick from. And he went over to the poor man's house and he got the poor man's only lamb. Took it from him that the poor man bought, loved, and said, I want to use this to feed the traveler, and left the poor man with nothing. Your response to the parable would be one of disgust for the rich man. Think, why in the world did you do that? And that's what David was. The Bible says that in verse 5 that David was infuriated with the man. And he said to Nathan, Surely as Yahweh lives, the man who did this deserves to die. Literally that reads, This is a son of death. He's a man of death. In other words, somebody that can do this can probably do worse. And then, because David knows Yahweh's law, in verse 6, he says, Because he has done this thing and shown no pity, he must pay four lambs for that lamb. That's in accordance with Exodus chapters 21 through 23. Right in there, it talks about how that somebody that takes the lamb or steals a lamb from a person is to repay fourfold for sheep. And then if it's an ox, the repayment is fivefold. And I believe that's probably because an ox, you can do more as far as work with an ox and not just meat. Verse 7, Nathan replied to David, You are the man. In other words, you're the rich man, David. And you rise the poor man. This is what Yahweh, Elohim of Israel, says. Remember, David's still there. He's still standing there. He's still listening to Nathan talk. Yahweh says this through the prophet. I anointed you king over Israel. I delivered you from the hand of Saul. I gave your master's house to you and your master's wives into your arms. And I gave you the house of Israel and Judah. And if that was not enough, I would have given you even more. Why then have you despised the command of Yahweh by doing what I consider evil. You struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword and took his wife as your own wife. You murdered him with the Ammonite's sword. Now remember, they were in battle with the children of Ammon. Israel was battling Ammon in a war, a physical war. 
it was the Ammonites who actually killed Uriah in, in battle, right? But Yahweh says here in verse 9 to David, you murdered him. Why? Because Uriah wasn't just killed in battle because he was going to war. Uriah was killed because it was David's idea to put him at the front in the fiercest battle and to let the men retreat back. So even though David wasn't out there, Yahweh still held David culpable for the murder. Verse 10. And there, here is punishments. Now therefore the sword will never leave your house because you despised me and took the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your own wife. This is what Yahweh says. I'm going to bring disaster on you from your own family. I will take your wives and give them to another before your very eyes, and he will sleep with them publicly. You acted in secret, but I will do this before all Israel and in broad daylight. So the sword would not depart from David's house. We're going to see, we won't see all of this in detail, but you can read through Second Samuel and through First Kings, and you can see that four of David's sons died prematurely. David was blessed with a son that Yahweh loved. His name was Solomon. He was a great man. Wasn't a flawless man. None of us are. But Yahweh did love Solomon. Solomon actually had another name. He was known by two names. We commonly call him Solomon, but the prophet Nathan gave him the name Jedidiah. And I think about Billy and Alyssa's boy when I say that. And the name Jedidiah means the beloved of Yahweh. The prophet gave Solomon that name. So not only would the sword never cease from David's home, but Yahweh said, I'm going to take your wives, and another man is going to sleep with your wives. And it won't be done in secret. It'll be done out in the open. You know who this other man was? It's one of David's sons named Absalom. King David had some family problems. That's okay. We all have family problems. Don't think bad on King David. We all have our problems. Verse 13. David responded to Nathan, I have sinned against Yahweh. I have sinned against Yahweh. No excuses. When the prophet Samuel told Saul, King Saul, what he had done wrong, the first thing that Saul did was make up excuses to say, no, I have obeyed Yahweh. I've done what he told me to do. He hadn't, but he made up these excuses. But I like to think, based upon what we're going to read next in the Psalms, I like to think that when Nathan was talking to David, David began to to shed tears, began to get what we call the lump in the stomach, Because all along David knew what he was doing was evil in Yahweh's sight. But he let his flesh get the better of him. Brothers and sisters, don't throw people away because sometimes they let the flesh get the better of them. King David was a mighty man. Mighty Israelite king. Yahweh loved King David. Yahweh does have favorites. King David's one of them. He's going to have a high position in the kingdom. But David was sorry for his sin. He told Nathan, he said, I've sinned against Yahweh. 
Verse 14, or excuse me, verse 13, the last part of verse 13. Then Nathan replied to David, Yahweh has taken away your sin. You will not die. So Yahweh forgave David for his transgression and said, you're not going to die. But how many realize that even though Yahweh can forgive us of our sins, there are still natural consequences to our sins. Have you ever sinned against Yahweh and then truly repented to Him? Asked for forgiveness, repented, fought and strived not to commit that sin again, but yet you still have bad things happen in your life. It doesn't mean that Yahweh hasn't forgiven you of your sin. It just means there's consequences, natural consequences to sin. When we sin, it doesn't just affect us. When, when I choose, if, if Matthew chooses to despise Yahweh's law, which is what David did, Nathan said he treated Yahweh with such contempt, which means he despised Yahweh, abhorred Yahweh, looked down upon Yahweh in that matter. If I choose to despise Yahweh's law and sin in a moment, Yahweh may forgive me when I repent, if I repent. But that doesn't mean that that sin and its ramifications, its effects, just go away. It doesn't mean that. When we sin, it doesn't just affect us personally. When I sin, it affects my wife, it affects my children, it affects this church, it affects everybody that I come into contact with on a daily basis. Listen, sin doesn't love you. It hates you. The adversary and the enemy, he doesn't want anything but to see you fail. He keeps no promises that he says. He hates you. He wants to see you not make it to the kingdom of heaven. But sin looks real pleasurable for a season. It does. It looks real pleasurable for a season. And it is, for a season, for a time. Sin is pleasurable. But over periods of time, the way of a sinner, a practicing sinner, is very difficult. It's very hard. Life won't be good for you if you practice sin. It won't be good. You'll have problem after problem after problem after problem. And you say, well, Brother Matthew, I asked you all to forgive me and I really did repent doesn't mean the problems go away. doesn't mean Yahweh doesn't love you. But it doesn't mean the problems go away. The sword would never leave David's house and Yahweh would take his wives and let another man sleep with them in public because of what David did. Four of his sons died and his wives were slept with by another man. David said, I've sinned. Nathan said, Yahweh's taking your sin away, you won't die. Verse 14, here's another ramification, another consequence. However, because you treated Yahweh with such contempt, look up that word contempt, it means to despise Yahweh, to scorn Yahweh, to abhor Yahweh. Because you've treated Yahweh with such contempt in this matter, the son born to you will die. Remember, Bathsheba became pregnant the night that David slept with her. Yahweh said that son is going to have to die because of something that you did. Notice David's sin didn't just affect himself. It affected that son. son never got to grow up. He died at age seven days, actually. Let's read it. 
Verse 15, Then Nathan went home. Yahweh struck the baby that Uriah's wife had born to David, and he became ill. David pleaded with Elohim for the boy. He fasted, went home, and spent the night lying on the ground. The elders of his house stood beside him to get him up from the ground. But he was unwilling and would not eat anything with them. On the seventh day, the baby died. But David's servants were afraid to tell him the baby was dead. They said, look, while the baby was alive, we spoke to him and he wouldn't listen to us. So how can we tell him the baby is dead? He may do something desperate. When David saw that his servants were whispering to each other, he guessed that the baby was dead. So he asked his servants, is the baby dead? He is dead, they replied. Then David got up from the ground. He washed, anointed himself, changed his clothes, went to Yahweh's house and worshipped. Then he went home and requested something to eat. So they served him food and he ate. His servants asked him, What did you just do? While the baby was alive, you fasted and wept. But when he died, you got up and ate food. He answered, While the baby was alive, I fasted and wept because I thought, Who knows? Yahweh might be gracious to me and let him live. Had this thought last night. You know, grace is always one-sided. If you're ever deserving of something, it doesn't mean that it's given to you by grace. It means that you earned it. When a worker works for his boss for wages, that's wages earned. Grace is always one-sided. And David said, perhaps Yahweh might let him live. So I, I fasted. When we fall into sin, like King David, one of the ways that we can show Yahweh that we are truly sorrowful for what we have done against Him, because all sin is ultimately an affront against the Creator of the universe, because He gave He gives the law. One of the ways we can show Yahweh that we're really sorrowful is to fast. In the Bible, and when I say fast, it, literally the word fast means to cover the hand over the mouth. Not eat. Not drink. David did it for seven days. Why? Because he really was sorry for what he had done. He was. David was a man of repentance. A man of humility. He messed up and he knew it. But he was sorry. He thought maybe Yahweh will be gracious. Verse 23 but now that he is dead, why should I fast? Can I bring him back again? I will go to him, but he will never return to me. Take our Bibles and turn to Hebrews chapter 12. We read that and we think, the sword is never going to depart from David's house. Four of his sons died if we know the Bible. So we turn to Hebrews chapter 12. Yahweh was going to take his wives and let some other man, his own son, Absalom, sleep with his wives in the daylight, in public, where people could see it happening. This is the king of Israel we're talking about. Forty years he reigned over the nation of Israel. Why did Yahweh do all this to David? In the natural, we might think it's because Yahweh, Yahweh's disposition changed towards David, and maybe Yahweh didn't love David anymore. Maybe Yahweh hated David, but... It, in the spiritual or in the real, the reason that Yahweh did that to David was because he loved him. 
Yahweh disciplines those that He loves. Yahweh whoops those that He loves. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 5. And you have forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons. My son, and it could just as easily mean my daughter for you sisters, my children, do not take Yahweh's discipline lightly. Do not faint when you are reproved by Him, for Yahweh disciplines the one He loves, and He punishes every son whom He receives. David was His son. He was. David was a son of Yahweh. And because he was, Yahweh punished him for what he had done and disciplined for what he had done. Look at it in verse 7. Endure it as discipline. How many know discipline has to be endured? Amen? <laughs> have you ever been disciplined before? I know I can, I'm not the only one that can say amen and raise my hand on that. I've messed up before majorly and Yahweh has punished me. I believe I'm still being punished for for things right now that I did a long time ago. I really do. Doesn't mean Yahweh hasn't forgiven me of my sin because I've repented. But sin has consequences. Sin has ramifications. See? So we have to endure that discipline when it comes. That discipline comes to us and we think, automatically think, Yahweh, why are you doing this to me? In reality, we should say, Whew, thank you, Father. This is just proof and confirmation that you are in love with me as your child. I'm enduring it, Yahweh. Endure it as discipline. Yahweh is dealing with you as sons. For what son is there whom a father does not discipline? Now this was written at a time when that was true. I know in our modern day and time, parents don't a lot of times discipline their children. Hello. But, you know, not far back, even in our country, not far back, you know, I mean, I've disciplined my children when most mostly when they were younger. David's getting the brunt of it now because he's the youngest one. But it's because I love you, David. I tell my children when I when I would spank my sons, seems like they got more whoopings than the daughters. But I would try to remember to tell them, Daddy is about to give you a loving spanking. A loving spanking. Do you know my daddy told me that when I was a little boy? And I didn't believe him when he told me that. But do you know how thankful I am now that my dad didn't just let me get away with everything? But that when I got in trouble, my daddy whooped me? He did. Mama says sometimes she thought I was going to die. He whooped me hard. Daddy did. I always wanted Mama to whoop me because I would act like it hurt, but it really didn't. It didn't hurt when Mama whooped me. But if she said, just wait till your daddy gets home, I'm going to tell him what you did. I knew, I mean, I knew I was in trouble. My dad meant business. I loved my dad. I still love him today. I got to see my daddy today. And I love him. But I feared him too. I, w I was fearful of my dad. It wasn't a fearful like he was some kind of a monster. But it was a fearful that I knew that he was the authority in the home. And, uh, I had a good dad. Verse 8, But if you are without discipline, which all receive, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Furthermore, we had natural fathers discipline us. That's our earthly daddies. 
and we respected them, shouldn't we submit even more to the Father of spirits and live? See, Yahweh's the one that gives us the breath of life. You know the word breath? I told a brother this this past week. First time he'd ever heard it. The word breath and spirit are synonymous in the Bible. The Hebrew word ruach and the Greek word pneuma. When Yahweh breathed into Adam's nostrils the breath of life, that was the spirit going in Adam. And when a man dies, the spirit goes back to who that gave it. Yahweh, that gave it. He's the father of spirits. And if we submit to our earthly fathers, when they discipline us and we respect them, like I did respect my daddy because he whooped me when I got in trouble. He didn't just say, oh, don't worry about it. You can do what you want to do, son. Then I will be illegitimate, see? Be illegitimate. It's like these daddies that have children and then don't father the children. That's not a real father. Yahweh says if we submitted to our earthly fathers, how much more to the father of spirits, the father of our breath of life. Hallelujah. Verse 10, For they disciplined us for a short time based on what seemed good to them, but He does it for our benefit so that we may share in His holiness. Yahweh's discipline produces holiness. People talk about sanctification. Justification, sanctification. Okay, Sanctification is the process whereby we become more holy. See, if a person is really born from above, born of the Spirit, they won't be a flawless person, but they will. The older they get, they'll get closer and closer to Yahweh. Now, in their minds, they'll get more humble and more humble, and they'll think, Yahweh's so holy and I'm so not. But when we look at them from the outside, we'll think, man, brother so-and-so, sister so-and-so, they are really close to Yahweh. You know why? Because the older a saint gets, and we're all saints in here, you don't have to die to be a saint. <laughs> Where Saint means holy ones. The older that a saint gets, if they're truly saved, they're truly saved, they are a saint, they become more and more sanctified. They grow in holiness. Set-apartness. Closer to Yahweh, more distanced from the world. Some of you may know some older people, older saints, and they may be coming to your mind right now. Older saints in Yahweh. They're closer to Yahweh, see. Why? They got disciplined all through the years. And it, it was for their benefit, and it produced holiness. Remember John chapter 15, verses 1 through 5, where Yeshua says, I'm the vine, you're the branches, my father's the gardener. He comes along and he prunes, and that pruning hurts sometimes. And you cut that bush back, cut those crepe myrtles back, Sister Lisa, and it looks like they're next to nothing. But why do you do it? So that they produce greater the next time? Produce more fruit? That's growing in holiness. John 15. No discipline, verse 11, seems enjoyable at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it yields the fruit of peace and righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Therefore, strengthen your tired hands and your weakened knees and make straight paths for your feet, so that what is lame may not be dislocated, but healed instead. Psalm chapter 51, last verse. Yahweh disciplined David. He punished David because he loved David. When we look at all of that that Yahweh said would happen to, to his house, to his sons, to his baby, we shouldn't think that's because Yahweh hated David. We should read that and think, boy, Yahweh really loved David because he disciplined him hard. We should think, boy, that shows you how much Yahweh loved him. Psalm 51 was actually a psalm 
And I hope to hear David sing it one day in the kingdom. It was a song or a psalm that he wrote in repentance for what he had done in Second Samuel chapter 11. Psalm 51 verse 1. Be gracious to me, Elohim, according to your faithful love, according to your abundant compassion, blot out my rebellion. You know that when Yahweh is gracious to us, literally in the Hebrew, that means that He stoops or He bends down, because He's way up here. He stoops or He bends down to show kindness to us who are His inferiors, like grasshoppers in His sight. That's what it literally means in the Hebrew. When Yahweh is gracious, He stoops down and He says, let me show you some kindness. And David prays, be gracious to me. Verse 2, wash away my guilt. Cleanse me from my sin. For I am conscious of my rebellion. And my sin is always before me. And I think David was talking about more than just that big sin in Second Samuel 11. David did commit other sins. All sin, contrary to what the church world teaches, all sin is not equivalent. Some sins are greater than others. Okay, All sin is sin, but some sins are greater than others. Maybe I'll teach on that one day to show you that from the Bible. David was conscious of his rebellion and his sin was always before him. Before in the Bible means in front of your face. When we sin and ask Yahweh to forgive us, Yahweh forgives us and forgets our sin. The Bible says he removes it as far as the east is from the west and you can't even measure that. Now, be patient with me when I make this next point. I think you'll agree once I'm through. Yahweh forgets our sin, but we shouldn't. In other words, what I mean is, when Matthew sins against Yahweh and I ask forgiveness and I repent, Yahweh forgives me and forgets my sin, but that doesn't mean that I forget my sin, my own sin. David says, For I am conscious of my rebellion, and my sin is always before me. And you, do you know why, even though I'm forgiven, that I shouldn't forget my wrongs? Because it keeps me humble when somebody else falls into sin. Do you know that the man that Yahweh used to write the majority of the New Testament, Shaul, Apostle Paul, never forgot his blasphemy and how he persecuted the church. In Acts 22, when he's standing up before some leaders, he says, I persecuted the church unto death. In 1 Corinthians 15, verse 9, he says, I'm not worthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church. It always stayed on his mind. I personally believe, I can't prove this, I personally believe that that was the thorn in Paul's flesh. I believe that a messenger of Satan was sent to Paul, Saul of Tarsus, that kept him in memory of what he used to be so that he was merciful and gracious to people that were in sin once he was delivered. He says in 1 Timothy 1 when he wrote to Timothy, he said, I blasphemed, I was a murderer, but because I did it in ignorance, Yahweh forgave me. If we want to be merciful to other people, we'll keep what we used to be 
or the struggles that we currently have in mind. We'll be conscious of our rebellion and our sin will be ever before our face. Now praise Yahweh. I'm thankful that although I'm not where I need to be, I'm thankful that I'm not where I once was. (laughs) Amen? But when my brother or my sister or my friend falls into sin, one of the things that helps me help them is to remember that was me. That was me. So I don't need to blow up. I don't need to jump all over. I need to help them up out of the dirt. And instead of kick them or stab them in the back, brush the dirt off their back, give them a hug and say, I'm here to help you through this repentance, through this time of your life. Amen? Verse 4, David says, Against you, you alone, I have sinned. That does not mean that he did not sin against anyone else, but it means that all sin is ultimately an affront to the lawgiver. And that's what David is talking about. I've done this evil in your sight. You are right when you pass sentence. You are blameless when you judge. Indeed, I was guilty when I was born. I was sinful when my mother conceived me. Young's literal translation reads, In iniquity I have been brought forth. In sin doth my mother conceive me. There's been all kinds of uh, different thoughts about what this passage might mean. Some people think that it might mean that David's mother was in sin when, when she had David. I don't think that fits the context. I think that David is saying sin permeates us from an early age. I didn't have to teach any of my five children to sin. I do have to teach them to obey Yahweh's law, though. But sin permeates us from an early age. I think that's all David was saying. David was saying, look, I'm so bad that this sin thing, this sin problem I have, it's been with me for a long time. This is a prayer of humility, brothers and sisters. This is a song of of a repentant man. Verse 6, Surely you desire integrity in the inner self, and you teach me wisdom deep within. Purify me with hyssop, and I will be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. Verse 8, Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Sometimes Yahweh has to crush us to make us into what He needs us to be. Turn your face away from my sins and blot out all my guilt. Elohim, create a clean heart for me. Why does He ask Yahweh to create a clean heart for Him? Because He can't create that heart by Himself. Renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not banish me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. The Old Testament saints have the Holy Spirit, not just the New Testament saints. Restore the joy of your salvation to me. Notice it's your salvation, Yahweh's salvation. And give me a, King James says, a right spirit. Homan says a willing spirit. That's better from the Hebrew. Give me a willing spirit. Willing to do what? Willing to obey. Create a clean heart within me and give me a willing spirit, a spirit that wants to obey. I'm sorry, Yahweh, for what I did. I don't want to do it again. Give me a willing spirit. He says, then I will teach the rebellious your ways and sinners will return to you. Notice that what David did did not prohibit him from teaching Yahweh's law after he was forgiven. There's something about a man that can fall into sin and be forgiven that makes him a better teacher than before. And I believe why is because he's more merciful. 
And blessed are the merciful, for they shall be shown mercy. And James, the book of James says, if we don't show mercy, we won't receive any. Save me from the guilt of bloodshed, Elohim, the Elohim of my salvation, and my tongue will sing of your righteousness. Lord, open my lips, and my mouth will declare your praise. Verse 16, you do not want sacrifice, or I would give it. You are not pleased with a burnt offering. If we don't know the whole Bible, that verse sounds contradictory. Because Yahweh many times said, bring me the sacrifice in the, in the burnt offering. I love it. Sweet savor to my nostrils. But what David is saying is this, you don't want it if it's not brought with the right motive. In other words, we can enter into his gates with a sacrifice, but it can be with an impure motive. We might not really be wanting to serve Yahweh. We might just be putting a show on. Just like the Israelites, they could bring a sacrifice, an animal sacrifice to Yahweh, and everybody might think, man, what a righteous man. But they don't see what the man does in his daily life. Yahweh doesn't want your sacrifice if you don't bring it with the right motive. David said, if you did, I would have given it, but I didn't because you don't want that. Right now, because of what I've done, I don't need to bring you a sacrifice. Verse 17. I began this sermon talking about how that Yahweh loves humility. This is it. The sacrifice pleasing to Elohim is a broken spirit. Elohim, you will not despise a broken and a humbled heart. I remember sometimes when I was a little boy, Mama used to say something like this. It looks like your spirit's broke, son. And what she meant was it looks like you've been gotten on to or you're so sad about what's happened that you broke. Talk about breaking a horse, right, Brother Rocket? Sometimes I think, we think that it's not good to have a broke spirit, but Yahweh says in Psalm fifty-one seventeen, He doesn't despise a broken spirit. That horse is broke for a reason, right? Yahweh has to break us to shape us. We're not what we're supposed to be, brothers and sisters. And Yahweh breaks us, and He breaks us in different ways. He breaks Matthew different than Dorothy, different than Denise, different than Dennis different than Brother Arnold, different than Sister Vicky. He breaks us in different ways, but He does it because He loves us. He does it because He's our loving Father. He's our loving Mighty One. We have an awesome Father, brothers and sisters. We have an awesome Heavenly Father. And we think, Yahweh, I feel so broken. I'm so torn. I feel so crushed. But yet He does that so that He can mold us and He can shape us into what He wants us to be and into the, to the ministry that He wants us to be in, Brother Ron. Sometimes we get ahead of Yahweh or behind Yahweh and we try to do things that Yahweh hasn't called us to do. Or sometimes we don't want to do the things that Yahweh calls us to do. Sometimes I feel like Jonah sometimes. I don't want to preach, Yahweh. I'm tired of preaching. I'm wore out, wore slap out. Let me get in the boat and go to Tarshish. I don't want to go to Nineveh. Yahweh says, get back in line, son. I put you where I want you, where I need you, where my people need you. 
If I have to break you some more, I'll break you some more to get you to do what you need to be doing. There's been times when I've prayed, and then there's been times when I've prayed. And what I mean is, some days when I don't feel like I'm much of a prayer warrior, I'll say the disciples' prayer, Our Father, which art in heaven. That's fine. There's some days, look, we're all going to have them. That's all you can say. Hallowed be your name. And you repeat it, and you get through, and you say, so let it be done. There's other times I pray where I have been so broken, and I've seen answers quick, things that I thought Yahweh couldn't do, I saw Him do. I'm experiencing some of that right now in my life. And I believe it's because of a certain broken prayer that I pray that Yahweh allowed me to pray. A broken spirit He will not despise. Psalm 34 says Yahweh is near to the brokenhearted. When's the last time that you were broken before Yahweh? Broken over your sinfulness. I know we believe in Yahweh's law. We're talking about not eating the pork. That's one of Yahweh's laws. He's got hundreds of them. There's more than that. I know we believe in Yahweh's law. We don't think it's done away with. We practice Yahweh's law. That doesn't mean that we don't have sins that need to be dealt with. Forgive me for my debts or my sins is a daily prayer just as much as give me this day my bread. When's the last time you were broken over your sinfulness? The areas where you you don't meet. You don't cut the muster. When's the last time that you cried over your sin when you prayed to Yahweh? Meditate on it. Talking to me too. Yahweh loves a broken spirit. He will not despise a humbled heart. Let me tell you something, brothers and sisters. A broken heart is way better than a heart that doesn't feel anything. It's better than a heart of stone. I want Yahweh to break. If there's any hearts of stone in here today, I want Yahweh to crush them to smithereens. Because a broken heart, He won't cast away. And He ends by saying, In your good pleasure, cause Zion to prosper. Zion's another name for Jerusalem. Build the walls of Jerusalem. Then you will delight in righteous sacrifices, whole burnt offerings, and then bulls will be offered on your altar. And that kind of clears up verse 16. Because David's saying... If I repent, if I ask for forgiveness and I get my motives right and I come to you and bring my animal sacrifice properly, you love it. It's great. David was a man after Yahweh's own heart. And David was a man of humility and a man of repentance. Let's stand and close in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you. I praise you. You're great. You're wonderful. Father, I pray for brokenness on every man, woman, and child in this place today. If we're honest with ourselves, we know we're not broken enough. We know that we don't do enough. We know that we don't obey enough. I pray that you give us humility to evaluate our life, our personal lives, each each of us individually. And as we evaluate it, that we would mourn over our sin and we would fight our sin and we would pray, lead us not into temptation. Yahweh, I love you. I thank you for another time of study in your word. Bring us back here tomorrow for the new moon service. Through Yeshua, I pray.